0: Welcome to Hello from the Pluriverse, a podcast about sharing the stories of designers and design thinkers from different backgrounds around the world. I'm Leslie anne Noel, a designer from Trinidad and Tobago and a professor of practice at Tulane University in New Orleans. The name of our podcast is a reference to Designs for the Pluriverse by Arturo Escobar. In our podcast, we explore the stories of designers from many different countries, women designers, designers of color, and designers from the LGBTQI community. In our interviews, we explore how place and identity affect their work, what they say about design, design thinking, and social innovation, and what advice they would give to non-designers who are using design methods. We'll continue to share more stories throughout the series about designers from many different worlds, from our little corner of the world at the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University in New Orleans.
1: Welcome to the Hello from the Pluriverse podcast, sponsored by the Phyllis M. Taylor Center for Social Innovation and Design Thinking at Tulane University, where we discuss the works of different designers and design thinking practices. My name is Michaeline Engelmeyer. I am a first-year student in the Master of Public Health Nutrition program here at Tulane. I'm also a design thinking graduate assistant working at the Taylor Center, and I have a bachelor's degree in dietetics, and I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Here with me today is co-host Tiwani. Tiwani, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hello, my name is Tiwani Yosseini, and I am a first year student at Tulane School of Public Health and Tropical Medicine, focusing on health communications and maternal on child health. Originally from Los Angeles, California, I obtained my bachelor's of science in healthcare administration. I'm currently a graduate administrative assistant at the Taylor Center. Today, we're going to be listening in on the interview of Mar- Marielle Mary Marielle is a San Francisco based entrepreneur and alumna from the University of California, Davis. She is also a self-taught computer scientist and started her own Girls Who Code chapter where she taught computer science skills to over 50 girls ranging from elementary through high school. Since then, she has gone on to start her own nonprofit, HTM.L, where her mission is to create the next generation of female founders. She works with young women from low income and underserved communities. Marielle also serves as a venture associate for Initial Capital. She describes her career as focused on finding imaginative and innovative solutions for complex problems, specifically closing the gender gap in the entrepreneurial slash venture capital ecosystem, and creating more equity, social impact, and opportunities for marginalized and underrepresented communities.
1: This interview was originally recorded in fall 2019. We are here today to learn a little bit about what Marielle has to say about her approach to design thinking. After the recording, we'll be here to discuss our thoughts and what we learned and hopefully spark some discussion for our listeners. Let's take a listen.
3: I have always been a very empathetic problem solver. As early as I can remember growing up, I was interested in creating innovative solutions, whether that be trying to come up with a solution to reach the Nutella at the top of the shelf. And for me, looking at the world in lens of how do we fix the problems that exist was always my passion. And so I went to school at UC Davis where I majored in design and it was specific in human-centered design because again that passion was how do I create empathetic solutions for real world problems. And so during my time in Davis I was always curious about technology and computer science but never felt as if that was a space for me. There was a lot of unseen biases that I was facing as a undergrad as a female and a female color was that there was not a lot of representation for females in the STEM community. Um, There's a lack of support and generally, a lot of just barriers that make it difficult for us to be successful in that field. Mm -hmm. And so I remember in my last year of college, and it was my last quarter, I told myself that if I didn't take a computer science class, I would absolutely regret it. And so I forced myself to enroll in computer science and was just amazed in how, Incredible, it is, and how we could use technology to solve more problems. And so I fell in love. I graduated UC Davis and self taught myself computer science during my free time when I was unemployed and looking for a job. And to keep myself occupied, I started a Girls Who Code Club in Davis as well, where I wanted to give back to my community and I wanted to remove the barriers that existed for young women, such as myself, entering into the computer science space and so I taught elementary through high school girls basic computer science skills and that's when I started to notice a few things that existed was in our um our society today and there were large barriers that not only existed for women entering into the computer science space just in general mm-hmm. and so uh high girls that are entering into middle and high school girls, their retention for STEMs dropped significantly. Um, it's from 66% when they're elementary school to 42% when they enter middle school and then an abysmal number of 13% when they enter high school. Hmm. And so that's the first eureka moment for me of this is a problem, we need to change the system because it's not working for females right now. And one thing that I noticed about Girls to Code, although it's an amazing organization, I did notice that they provided the girls the skills, excuse me, the tools and the resources to create projects within the program. And these were amazing projects. Girls were creating games. They were creating solutions to to local issues. But once the program ended, so did their curiosity in pursuing that venture. Mm -hmm. And so that was another Eureka moment for me. Was exploring into, well, why aren't girls encouraged to become a business or entrepreneurs and want to pursue their programs and these ideas and see them to fruition and actually have it come out into the world. And so I did some more research and realized that female entrepreneurs uh, face a wider set of uh, barriers. And this includes, again, the lack of female representation in executive and manager positions. There's a lack of support network because there's not a lot of women in this field mm-hmm. and the amount of funding that goes towards women uh, founded companies is astronomically low as well only 2.2 percent of VCs, which is venture capitalists, uh, fund female-founded female, ca- female founded companies. Whoa. and that, that, that That's an actually a
2: horrifying number.
3: Yeah, 2.2%, which is actually down 3% last year. And so every single year, it's regressing. And mm-hmm. that means there's going to be a point in time, the next 5 to 10 years, where it's probably only 1 to 2% of female-founded companies are being funded by VCs. And so if we take a step back and look at these barriers that exist, we have the lack of female representation, the lack of support, the lack of funding for girls to enter STEM and for girls to become executives. And so at this time I was also working at a tech company, volunteering for Girls Who Code. And at my tech company I experienced and I witnessed a lot of this discrimination towards female executives. One, a lot of our clients were very much predominantly male, white male, and I saw firsthand how women are treated in executive positions. They are disrespected. They're not taken seriously. I've had multiple female founders display some of their frustrations, how VCs um, would stop them during their presentation, ask them if they're serious, um, and just be completely dismissive of, of who they are. And so I remember talking to my HR about this, and I was telling him that, Every time I went to go volunteer at Girls Who Code, I felt this passion and this invigoration for female empowerment. And I didn't feel that same passion and that invigoration or that inclusion at my job. And he pretty much said, well, if you don't feel that purpose here, then why are you here? And so that stuck with me. And that was the first time where I really took a step back and said, well, there's a system that I'm I'm a part of and I could really make a change. And so I, I quit my full-time job and my parents were, they're shocked. they were asking me, what are you doing? Are you sure this is what you want to do? Your 401k and your financial stability. I'm like, yes, yeah, this, this is something I want to do. I want to move forward and I want to create a space for girls where not only they are encouraged to pursue STEM, um, post secondary options, but also they're encouraged to pursue their projects and their ideas as ventures. And so one thing that, I've been telling my girls is why work for someone else's dream when you, when you can be the executive of your very own. And so when I quit my job, I started a nonprofit organization called HTML, where Mm -hmm. we work with girls on every single step of the entrepreneur process, because we want to build the next generation of female founders. So we work with middle and high school girls, primarily from low income and underserved communities. To provide them the skills the tools and the resources to become female founders and right now we are the only incubator the only nonprofit organization that does that so we're very intimate with them from ideation to prototyping um, to teaching them computer science become technical female founders and make their solutions uh, technologically focused and then helping them out with their pitch deck incorporating building out a team Finding funding and support for their ventures. And so we're creating an ecosystem of women who are like minded and ambitious. They have the role models that we provide from mentors and guest speakers and field trips. And they don't feel so alone in this process. They don't feel Mm -hmm. isolated and they don't feel discouraged to quit because it's not meant for them right now. And that's what we want to change. And so that's been my full time focus right now is running HTML on the side i do part-time work as a research assistant for two for two bcs which is gather lab and new energy nexus because if i'm going to be trying to do some deep level systematic change someone needs to be in on the inside working on the inside out uh, and reforming it and um i also work as a board member for the women's building, which is a nonprofit organization in San Francisco, where it's a free space, inclusive, positive, where we provide resources to low income and underserved um, women of the community to help them become successful. And so for me, What started as just a passion of problem solving when I was younger has turned into a career of female empowerment and trying to change the system as it exists today so that the next generation of women, such as you and myself, have a chance at changing the world and ideating and incubating our ideas and becoming the next Steve Jobs or the next CEOs of the next billion-dollar company that changes society now that i'm the face of a company i'm subjective to attacks and um discrimination because i'm not hiding behind a lower totem position i'm at the forefront of what i'm pitching, and so some stories that come to mind is when i'm pitching html to funders and investors i've i've had a lot of the pushback i've had men stop me during my presentation and call me out on a single typo where the rest of the pitch deck is pristine and Mm -hmm. also ask me if if I'm serious. And they stop me and say, we can't proceed with this meeting because your work ethic isn't to the standards that we want. Um, I've had men propose external arrangement for funding and that was a huge attack on my integrity and it was very objectifying that that was even a consideration for them an option for them to, to give me and when I talked to some male founders about their experiences navigating the entrepreneur ecosystem complete opposite they mm-hmm. don't they don't get stopped during presentation they're actually when they stumble or they fall, they it's considered, oh, it's because they work hard and they are exhausted and they're tired. Whereas women such as myself, we are put on this pedestal and we're expected to perform at a capacity that is impossible. They want us to be mm-hmm. the perfect CEO every single time. And so we don't get that allowance to make mistakes, to be human and to embrace failure because for us, failure is the sense that we aren't good enough to be here, whereas Mm -hmm. men are allowed to experience and have that allowance to fail and grow from it. And that is something, again, HTML wants to remove for girls is when they do encounter these situations, they're equipped and they have the skills and the tools to counteract it and also have integrity and confidence to know that being discriminated against and experiencing these negative situations does not define them, does not define their value or their company, and Mm -hmm. especially their identity, that they are more than welcome to thrive and succeed in this economy. And so that's what we're trying to really install within girls. One thing that I've been researching is understanding deep systematic change and where we are at as a society. And how do we get to the point where we're all mutually benefiting from the resources that are provided, where class and identity don't define your happiness and your success and your ability to survive? And so for me, what I've learned is that there's three different types of communities and societies. So mm-hmm. there's one where it's, um, let's call it, apocalyptic world Mm -hmm. sea where no one's driving it's low inclusion low growth it's serving no one and the one that we're in currently um what i like to call is san francisco west world and so it it's a very hierarchical community where it's high growth but low inclusion so it's only serving a minority um, there's a small pool of people who are actually able to survive and thrive in this community and this society. And those trying to enter into that higher, that higher status, it's so difficult for them to in- infiltrate into it. And then there's the last one, which is utopia, where it's high inclusion, high growth, where everyone is benefit- benefiting from it and is able to thrive and utilize resources. And there's no barriers that exist against anyone. And so to remove the paradigm and to get to that utopia what we need to do as a society is one realize that we need to stop working for self serving agendas it's not about mm-hmm. the one it's about the whole so we mm-hmm. need to understand that we need to work towards mutuality where we as a collective are creating incentives and programs that help every single person at the end not just one and two is installing and catalyzing dialogues that shock people out of their comfort zone and so what's Mm -hmm. happening right now is that everyone is so comfortable in their own thoughts and they're they're aware of the discrimination and the disparities that exist in society so minorities from low income and underserved communities are it's harder for them to infiltrate the workforce Um, the disparity between men and women all these social issues there's not enough conversation that are existing right now to get people to want to make a change or inspire them to create a movement. And so we need to start dialogue and bring people, compel people to want to actually change. And the last one is just the concept of positivity, inclusion and empathy are the key tenets to getting us to Utopia. We are not a very empathetic society. I live in San Francisco and there are unhoused individuals just littering the streets. And I, I watch as people just walk by them, not even giving them a second glance because there's no empathy anymore. It's normalized. It's normalized to hear about school shootings. It's normalized to hear about the unhoused individuals and climate change. It's just, we're so desensitized away. We're not empathetic mm-hmm. to it anymore. And so with those three factors, it's teaching society how to work towards the collective good, having sustainable and catalytic dialogue, and also teaching people that empathy, that we need to be empathetic towards each other, is where we get to that utopia. Mm -hmm. And that's the three things that we are trying to install in HTML is... All those values, and we're teaching those girls at an earlier age that way when they get to adulthood, they're prepared to make change, they're prepared to use their solutions to create deep level systematic change. Just imagine this if it starts at one person, just one person giving empathy and providing care to the next person, it's a trickle down effect, a domino effect. It just encourages and inspires other people to do, to do mm-hmm. good as well. I learned about design when I was in high school. I was always a very creative kid. Um, And combining that with problem solving is when I discovered design. I remember looking up YouTube videos of um, how do we create solutions and stumbling upon IDEO and IDEO's uh, values of empathetic design, Mm human-centered design, creating for people uh, and keeping them at the forefront of all our solutions. And so my dad is from the Navy And through his military uh, career, it has allowed us to go to college in California to any public system for free. And so I remember doing my research on which UC system Uh, had a design program, specifically human-centered design. And the only one that existed was UC Davis. Mm -hmm. And so that was my top choice. I applied to UC Irvine and UC Berkeley just as safe schools. Um, But my, my heart was set on UC Davis. And so going into UC Davis and going through their design program, that's when I really got to build the momentum of learning how design can create change. And so that's where I learned about ideating, uh, doing your user research, um, designing solutions that matter. And that's a book that I I read in college was Seven Ways to Make Your Design Matter. I don't remember the author, but it's fantastic. And so they provided a plethora of options and resources for us to become empathetic designers. And so my suggestion to anyone who is looking to go into a design, human-centered design career is Finding a school where they put that at the forefront of their curriculum, where it's not about graphic design, it's not about fashion design, it's about human-centered design. Mm -hmm. And so I was very fortunate to find a UC school that offered that course, and I got to go there for free. And also trying to supplement resources mm-hmm. alongside your education. So doing your due diligence and going online and looking for online courses. Um, I took a few IDEO courses during school. Um, and that was an amazing time for me because you get to see different learning tactics and, um, learning perspectives outside of the classroom. And so trying to expand your breadth of knowledge and design in any way possible. Reading books, reading articles. Medium is such a good platform to uh, build up your design repertoire. Um, talking to design individuals and design collectives, there are so many that exist in your area. There's probably a group, a Facebook group, where it's about design. And so um, I like to consider it a scavenger hunt. So going and going online going in person to find these spots and these resources to build your design token. Design thinking defined by me would be it's very similar to IDEO, but again, it's using empathy as a lens mm-hmm. to create solutions for real issues that impact real lives. I'll describe the process that we use at HTML to help our girls. Um, I need solutions and so they enter our program and they choose a local or global issue that they care about and so we do extensive research on that issue. What are the solutions that exist? Why does this solution exist? How do we counteract it and how do we make um, a meaningful change? And so we go into design thinking and we go into the ideation phase so they're using the insights that they've learned from their research to create just wild innovative solutions And going through critiques and group reviews, we start to distill that into a more tangible uh, innovation that we could actually start to prototype. And so that's when we get into more of the creative aspect of the program where we start to teach them how to build a model of their idea so they can visually communicate it to others. And so they're using just scrap materials, cardboard, recycled paper, recycled items to just build out this open prototype. And then uh, we go into cognitive science. And so that's one thing that I feel as if design doesn't necessarily focus on, is really understanding the user on a micro level. And Mm -hmm. so we teach the girls um, to put themselves in their user's shoes. And so interviewing their users, implementing their prototype into the community, testing it, seeing if it works for them, Um, understanding how the brain works and the psychology of human behavior and the ways to influence them Uh, there's different colors or different methods and uh, approaches to influence someone to change and so we teach them that and using all those insights and experiences we help them refine their prototype and make it more empathetic for the user and so the last process in Um, our methodology is teaching them computer science. And so we want our girls to be technical female founders. And so we teach them machine learning, programming skills, as well as web and app development skills. So they could build a website, they could build a mobile app and they could turn their prototype into a, into a functioning technological high fidelity prototype. And so it's a combination of three different disciplines into one. And so it's a, it's very specific. Uh, process that we teach our girls that is very close and similar to design thinking, but we added in a few more concepts to really enhance it. And, and my advice would be, don't be intimidated by what you're trying to solve for. That's what I see in a lot of my younger girls is that they have these incredible, unique, innovative ideas, but feel as if they're too small to tackle with. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would tell designers is. Your idea has weight, it it matters, and it deserves to be out into reality. So, yeah, don't feel intimidated. Use any resources that is available to you. Be resourceful. Um, The reason why you're conceptualizing this idea is because you acknowledge and you're cognizant that it needs to exist. And so just believe in your values and your belief systems. Have a good support network and Having all of that will guide you in your design journey.
1: Thank you all so much for listening along with us. Now we are just going to talk a little bit about our takeaways from the interview. Um, Tiwani, how did you feel like place and identity impacted Marielle's work? Um, so I feel like Marielle talked a lot about
2: how being a woman of color and STEM introduced her to a lot of barriers in the industry. Um, instances like lack of female representation, lack of support networks, and the lack of funding that goes to women-founded companies allowed her to focus on human-centered design and create a space for young women to venture into dreams that would otherwise be limited to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I felt like um, she had a lot of barriers to contend with as an undergraduate female student of color entering the STEM community um, when she made the decision to take computer science courses in her final semester of college. Um, So of all of her intersecting identities, I feel like she spoke the most um, in this interview about existing as a woman in the STEM and entrepreneurial space. Um, And that seems to just have really shaped her identity, her career and the way she interacts with the world.
2: Right, yes, I agree with you. Um, So what did you learn from Marielle about design, design thinking and social innovation?
1: Um, I, I really love the approach Marielle takes to social equity and innovation. Um, Marielle really emphasized the importance of tackling and removing the systemic barriers that exist for women and particularly women of color, not only in the field of STEM but also in the realm of entrepreneurship. And she realized that once the Girls Who Code camp ended, the girls didn't remain engaged in the material. So she took it upon herself to pivot to expand professional opportunities for female entrepreneurs and. She cited some pretty shocking statistics in her interview. So I feel like that's something that I took away from the interview. Um, How about you?
2: Yes, I definitely agree, especially with the shocking statistics. Um, I felt like listening to this conversation really helped me understand the importance of empathy in design and design thinking. Like the concept of empathy isn't new to me, but hearing about Mariel's experience and journey, her abundance of empathy really allowed her to create spaces and opportunities for marginalized communities. And she really you know, taught me that it's important to not only have the technical and theory concept of design, but to have that source of empathy that can show in your work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important takeaway, that empathy piece. Um, so as two students who are not formal designers, um, what advice did you feel like you took away from this episode um, as a non-designer who is using some design thinking methods? So I took a lot away from this interview,
2: but um, I think that I really learned that I need to constantly watch out for spaces that I'm in that can be, you know, using self, self-serving agendas. Um, this episode definitely honed in on that idea of creating incentives and programs that help everyone and not just one type of person. I mean, I like to believe that I go through life without a self-serving agenda, but after listening to this episode, I've realized that these type of agendas can look really good on the surface, but have non-inclusive structures to it that can serve as a blockade for many underrepresented communities.
1: That's such a good point, kind of like checking ourselves. Um, for me, it felt really important to hear Marielle stress the importance of being aware of the privilege and barriers that are just inherent when existing in today's society. Um, so you know, for example, the importance of discussion, discourse, and having those tough conversations so we don't become desensitized to the things we need to work together to change. Um, and utilizing the concept of utopias can really help in this way, because it begs the question, How can we create an environment where everyone is able to thrive?
2: Right. Yes, it's a great question to always ask, you know, when doing a program or an activity. um, Was there anything that Marielle said that surprised you or that you didn't agree with or maybe even
1: inspired you? Um, Yeah, kind of uh, both of those, you know, like the surprise and inspiration. Because I was so surprised to hear Marielle describe how the standards that women are held to in the entrepreneurial sphere are so vastly different from men where women aren't allowed to fail and they're expected to be perfect while men are kind of granted this grace and understanding on a level that women just aren't. Um, So it was so inspiring to hear her commitment to eliminating this for girls and women who are entering that space. What about you?
2: Yes, I most definitely agree with you. Like I said earlier though, those numbers really, really shocked me. Um, I was shocked to hear about the low number of funds that are allocated towards, you know, businesses owned by women. I always knew there was a gap, but for 2%, like that is such an infallible number. But um, it's amazing to hear Mariel's passion to educate and inspire young girls to dream and design big. But what did you think, listener? Please feel free to check out our website and let us know what you thought about this episode in the comments.
0: We hope you enjoyed this interview from our Hello from the Pluriverse series. A special thank you to Arturo Escobar, the author of Designs for the Pluriverse, for opening the space for conversations about pluriversality in design. Many thanks as well to all of our interviewees, our Design Thinking student team, Ruby, Lupe, Delaney, Tran, and Wissal, the students of the Fall 2019 sci 3010 class, Levante, Lucas, our editor, and the rest of the team at the Taylor Center at Tulane. If you have any suggestions for our program, please email your comments, suggestions, and questions to taylor at tulane.edu, and also you can visit our website at taylor.tulane.edu.